0: Hello, and welcome to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast, a podcast that focuses on our distinct approach to this amazing system of understanding human nature. My name is Mario Sakura, coming to you from Philadelphia, and I'm joined by Maria Jose Monita. Hello from Santiago, Chile. And Tamer Zanati. Hello from Cairo, Egypt.
1: We are partners at Awareness to Action International, a consulting firm specializing in practical applications of the Enneagram. You can find out more about our work at
2: awareness actioncom In this season of the podcast, we are focusing on exploring each of the three instinctual biases and nine strategies through the lens of a movie. Looking at one movie that we feel represents the
0: essence of the bias or in type. So make some popcorn, sit back and enjoy the program. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Enneagram in a Movie podcast. I am Mario Sakura. I'm here with my associates Maria Jose Monita.
1: Hi, Mario. Hi, Tamer.
0: And with Tamer and
2: Hello, Mario. Mario Jose.
0: All right, good to see you. Uh, so, we are going to be talking in this podcast about the movie The Breakfast Club, and the navigating instinctual bias. Last time we talked about the movie Saturday Night Fever and talked about the transmitting domain. If you haven't listened to that yet, I encourage you to go back and do so, uh, but we're going to move on. Um, very different movie here from Saturday Night Fever, and what we're trying to do with this podcast is help to explain the three instinctual biases and then the nine strategies, the Enneagram types, through the lens of one movie that we feel captures that theme. Uh, Most people, when they talk about this instinctual bias, refer to it as the social subtype or the social instinct in the Enneagram literature. We're going to talk about why we don't use that terminology and why we use the term navigating instead. And again, we're going to describe the navigating domain through the lens of the movie *The Breakfast Club*, yeah. Maria Jose and Tamer, um, thoughts about the movie *The Breakfast Club* before we get started.
2: Actually, I think it represents really the navigating domain, in the way that we describe it in uh, awareness to action approach. So uh, somehow I feel that when you present what is the description of navigating domain, and then talk about the movie, it would be very clear. Actually, it would be like a representation of what we will present. The movie is, uh, is, uh, um, is different. I mean, it's different <laughs> than, than the type of movies that, uh, uh, that you like watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but actually I found that it's very insightful because it, it, it's really about people. And throughout the movie, it's very interesting how you see the revealing of the information about the, the dynamics between the different characters. So it's very interesting. But you, Maria Jose,
1: I? I have to say that I had never heard of the movie, and but I really liked it, so I'm glad I, I watched it before this, during this podcast. I, I agree with Tamar, It truly represents navigating, not only in what they show, but as a navigating spectator, I was it kind of unfolded to feed my need for understanding what was going on, who these people were. And I could see myself not being part of that group, that's kind of like a cliche, but, but immersed in the movie, wanting to know more about the characters and trying to guess things about them and trying to figure out how their lives are. And so it, it just caught me in that way.
0: All right, great. Thank you. So, so for uh, any of our listeners who've been living under a rock for the last 36 years since this movie came out, the breakfast club, I'm I'm teasing Maria Jose. How old were you, Maria Jose, when this movie came Um. out in 1985? 10? Okay. Yeah. So, so, and, and you live in Santiago, Chile. So it's not um, surprising that you may not have seen this movie. It's a very, I know you have movies in Santiago, Chile, and you can access this just like anybody else. My point is that it's a very, Uh, It's a very U.S. kind of movie, and it's very much a movie of its time, I think. One of the things, for example, that was very popular in movies of that era, comedies, was kind of the the music video montage, right? Where all of a sudden a song starts and people start dancing and that sort of thing, right? Uh, That happened, I think, four times in this movie. So it's very much a movie of its time, and it's not a movie that...
1: People in the U.S. don't do that?
0: Uh, No, no, we don't. No, you know, we don't ride horses, and you know, uh, wear you know cowboy six shooters and that sort of thing, right? So. Yeah, I know. I, I hate to bust the illusions of uh, life in the United States here, but this was a very influential movie at the time, right? So 1985 it was directed by and written and directed by John Hughes, who was a huge, huge filmmaker in the 80s. He uh, wrote many famous movies such as Home Alone and all the sequels, directed uh, a lot of great comedies uh, during that era and then sort of disappeared. You know, as time kind of came and went, but he was very influential during that period. The movie actually was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress um, as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Okay, So um, it's not just a quirky sort of thing. It is recognized as kind of an important film in the history, at least of the U.S., if not uh, the rest of the world. Tell you what, before we go further into The Breakfast Club, let's talk about the navigating domain okay let's give our listeners kind of an understanding of what the navigating domain is then we 'll loop back to the breakfast club and talk about why we feel the breakfast club fits that experience. okay The navigating domain is like you said usually referred to as the social subtype or the social instinct in uh, the Enneagram literature, but we feel that it uh, the name social is actually a bit misleading because it implies that people are extroverted, that people of this instinctual bias are extroverted and like people, want to be around people, want to be at parties all the time. And that's simply not the case. Uh, What this is, is about understanding the group and where we fit into it. Okay, This is the key thing about the navigating domain. Who am I and who are these people and how does this group function? This is one of the fundamental needs that we have as a social species, meaning a species that lives with and depends on other people. And there are a number of subdomains that we talk about here. Anything you guys would add in general about the navigating domain before I talk about the subdomains?
1: As the word says, navigating, it's like wanting to understand the map of the group and see where each piece is and where you want to be and or how you want to move and so, so that's very different to wanting to be part of a group as social would or might imply it's you might even want to decide that you want to stay out of the group but you want to understand who's there and right. what that map is all about
2: In, the enneagram is a very deep system and uh, w- what happens when you get to literatures on the internet or you get uh, these promotional materials, you get only the, uh, the headers or the titles of the topics. And sometimes this is not enough to understand what things mean, I mean, what different things mean. And I think, Mario, this is why it's somehow specifically the navigating domain is not that well understood um in the enneagram system and i hope that i mean now we don't have much time in that but i hope that we can clarify some of the misunderstandings so one of the misunderstandings that i would like to highlight before we start that sometimes some of the uh, titles like group coherence something like that so w- when you hear the title that means that they want group coherence but this is not really what it means it's more that they want to understand they focus on uh, observing Uh, they are it's important things for them
0: whether they want it or not so things like that right i like to think that at, at, at its most fundamental level the navigating domain is about taking in information about the group and strategically revealing information about ourselves that is something that we will certainly see in this movie Okay. it's about you know who are these people how do i figure it out as quickly as possible or as thoroughly as possible and then what should i share about myself we when we talk about these instinctual biases we typically break them down into three domains or three subdomains so with the navigating domain we would break that into issues of trust and reciprocity power and influence dynamics and status and identity each of those domains gets broken down a little bit further into a bit more detail so if we take trust and reciprocity meaning trying to figure out who i can trust who i can trade with who i can exchange with if i do a favor for you will you do a favor for me can i trust you to honor your word to honor any contract we might make so underneath that is uh, trade right can i trade with you and trust you and that, that kind of deal group group coherence to what Tamar talked about. And this can actually be tools in the navigating domain to hold people in line, right? And we start to see a lot of that in, uh, in in the Breakfast Club, right? We see a lot of, you know, whenever there's a conflict between people, somebody else sort of steps in and calmly tries to bring everything back into order. So there's this bringing together of the group, and then there's information exchange. Right? What can you tell me? What can I understand? And this is the root of gossip. Right? We see a lot of gossip in this movie. A lot of sharing of information about people.
1: And and it's not only so it's gossip, but it's also, and we'll see that in the movie. How I understand that if that if I share something, it will have an impact on the rest of the group, and the rest of the group might react in a particular way. So it's how much I reveal to trigger something in the group.
0: The second category is power and influence dynamics. And we break that down into group politics, uh, social intelligence, being able to understand and read people. And we talk about group politics, we're talking about understanding the group politics and working the system in a way, right? How do I get something done? Who do I talk to? Who has influence and can help me out here, right? Who manages the levers of power, in, in a way, right? Is in there. And then finally, there's hierarchy management, okay? Every group has a hierarchy. Again, this is something we certainly see in this movie, the different cliques in the school, the different groups. And uh, so understanding how those hierarchies work is very much of concern to the navigating domain.
1: Yeah, and all of that requires a lot of observation. It's all about, as you said, taking in information, but also under it's information about people, but also about the system and how it works. And it takes time to figure that out.
0: Something Tamara said uh, a couple of minutes ago uh, kind of uh, s- s- stuck in my head and I-, I wanted to come back to about how the navigating domain can be easily misunderstood. Uh, In the enneagram literature, one of the reasons is because it's hard to identify navigators by what they do, because they really don't do anything, right? When you know, when it comes to the preservers and the transmitters, we can see their behaviors. They're sort of active behaviors. With the navigators, it's almost a lack of action that indicates what's happening. It's this observation rather than you know doing stuff and that's one of the things about this movie and i think one of the critiques that some people might have about it is nothing actually happens in the movie right i mean they sit in a library all day and talk right <laughs> you know and at one point they sneak out to go get pot but um you know it's it's really just a movie about people talking and you know and for navigators this is cool right uh for preservers and transmitters it may not be quite so interesting So the third subdomain of the navigating domain is what we call status and identity, and that has to do with pecking order, right? Who's in charge, who's not. We see examples of this. For example, one of the great pieces of this is when Bender walks into the library and sees Brian sitting in a seat he wants and just kind of looks at him, and Brian gets up and moves, right? Because Brian and Bender immediately understand who's in charge here. Okay. There's issues about role clarity, meaning what am I responsible for? What am I going to do? What are you going to do? And then there's reputation management, which is all about understanding how other people perceive us and how we can manage that perception, right? How we can make them think well of us and try to avoid having them think poorly of us. It's very important. I guess maybe we said that in the previous uh, episode, but uh,
2: it's important to repeat it again that the instinctual biases are about our focus of attention. So what what comes as priority uh, when we notice things or we get uh, uh, when we put uh, the importance on things, this is more important than that. And that does not mean necessarily that we are skilled in this area. We can be skilled or we can lack skills, but still. It takes, it takes a part of our thinking and it affects our behaviors. So it can, I mean, if we're skills, I mean, a navigator, a skillful navigator would notice things and act properly. non-skillful navigator would notice things but act non-properly or not
0: successfully. So it's very important to, to notice this part, I guess. Okay, Maria Jose, anything you would add about the navigating domain before we start talking about the breakfast club?
1: So for me as a navigator, it was interesting. I'm not sure how preservers and transmitters react to the movie. And I guess we can guess here with Tamer being a transmitter, but I'm uh, not sure about preservers.
2: I mean, I, I can give you my reaction if you want.
0: <laughs> go, go ahead, Tamer.
2: <laughs> my, my, my first reaction was that it's, uh, it's uh, boring. That was my first reaction. But I mean, since I'm taking it seriously because of uh, this uh, <laughs> this episode, so I had to really uh, get it done and then I mean by by midway actually I started to get interested because I started to get insights. There's a dimension of curiosity where you see that the character's identity is revealing bit by bit. This is this is a kind of uh, suspense in really wanting to know who they are, as, as per the, the whole movie theme. So this is, this is
0: my reaction to the movie, Marie-José. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, think, I think that's pretty consistent. We have some sense of what people thought of the movie in general, right? If you look at the uh, Rotten Tomatoes um, a- aggregation of critical evaluation, It gives it an 89% score, meaning 89% of all the reviews aggregated were positive about the movie. The audience score, meaning people who saw the movie and liked it or didn't like it, is at 92%, which is pretty high. So it was a pretty popular movie. A couple of other interesting things about it it was made on a shoestring budget. It's a million dollars, which even though that's $1985, uh, it's still not that much money for a Hollywood movie. And its initial run in the theaters made 50 million dollars which is pretty good return on investment for that million dollars now so in case you haven't seen it the breakfast club is about five kids in a chicago area high school who are for various reasons serving detention on a saturday in the school library of Shermer high school the description description of it on imdb says that uh, beyond being in the same class at Shermer high school in Shermer, illinois claire standish andrew clark john bender brian johnson allison reynolds have little in common and with the exception of claire and andrew do not associate with each other in school in the simplest and in their own terms claire is a princess andrew is an athlete john is a criminal Brian is a brain, and Allison is a basket case. So they're setting up these sort of stereotype characters in the movie, and they're very clear stereotypes. But one of the interesting things is that we start to see that the stereotypes are only that. And as they reveal themselves, they start to see how they have much more in common than they would have thought otherwise. But one other thing that they do have in common is a nine-hour detention in the school library together on Saturday, March 24th, 1984. This was something that was interesting to me. In the beginning of the movie, they actually established the exact time, date, and location of where it was happening right uh, which is a very navigating thing to do where is this right it's uh uh sherm uh, it's uh, you know shermer high school then um the, the exact morning they even give the zip code of the town um, is this a real uh, location uh, so mean, yes it was so it, it is a real location in fact it was filmed in a high school that had just been closed and they were going to demolish it just a tidbit of movie history uh, john Hughes, their writer and director Uh, right after filming The Breakfast Club, filmed the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, using the same high school and the same crew, even though a different cast of uh, characters in the movie. Although, Emilio Estevez's brother, Charlie Sheen, also appears in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So, a little bit of trivia there. Now, they are under the guidance of Mr. Principal Vernon, uh, Richard Vernon, or Dick, as John Bender calls him on occasion, uh, who is supervising from his office across the hall, they're required to write an essay titled, Who Do You Think You Are? That's supposed to be at least a thousand words. Uh, At the beginning of those nine hours, if they intended, if they indeed planned on writing that essay, they probably would write something close to what the world sees them, right, as their stereotypes. But according to the description, um, they find and uh, uncover commonalities about themselves and a perspective on the world that they all share i talked about the uh, rotten tomatoes um, uh, scores but uh, there are some some interesting reviews that i found online some positive some negative negative. Uh, one of the negative ones was taking place almost entirely in one room the breakfast club is the kind of movie and the kind of play that's hardly seen anymore and good riddance okay? <laughs> a more positive review is Hughes understands adolescents as well as anyone who has ever made movies about them. And he has a fluent way with young actors. In this picture, his dramatic ideas may be cheesy, but Hughes still manages to create some excitement and laughs. Cast, what was interesting to me about the opening credits is that they were done in alphabetical order for the characters. Right. It was not. There were no big stars at the time. These people went on to become pretty big stars. Uh, At that time, they were a group that came to be known as the Brat Pack, take off of uh, Sinatra's Rat Pack. And again, in the '80s, early '90s, these were these actors were very big for a short time. So Emilio Estevez, uh, Molly Ringwald, Judd Nelson, Anthony Michael Hall, and Ali Sheedy are the five main characters. And Paul Gleason plays Richard Vernon, the principal, John Capellos plays Carl, the janitor.
1: Awareness to action offers a unique approach to applying the Enneagram professionally with leaders and organizations, as well as for personal development. What makes us stand apart is our Enneagram expertise and focus on understanding human nature. We know people because we see people. And this is a skill set that can be taught and learned. Human nature is complex and simple at the same time. Our mission is to help people see clearly and act accordingly. Why? Because the ability to see ourselves and others clearly and honestly is essential. It enables us to act in more adaptive and useful ways. The multicultural team at Awareness to Action will help you learn tools and practices to become more aware and also to understand and engage people more effectively. Learn more at awarenesstoaction.com. Join us at 2021 for exciting learning opportunities.
0: Okay, a couple of uh, points to make out. Again, this movie was made in 1985, so there are some politically incorrect pieces of dialogue, you know, a bit of sexual harassment that doesn't play well in this era, some uncomfortable scenes. There's also some phrases and terminology that I don't ever remember really understanding. Some of the things that kids say, you know, slang, uh, I think they just kind of made up for the movie, uh, which feels a little bit dated. I'll also say that the movie's a little bit uneven, right? Some of the parts work really well, I think, and uh, some of the parts are a bit hokey and corny and far fetched, but for me over and all it's it's a pretty f- it's a fun movie to watch. But the most important thing is that it really captures um what we're talking about here. I w- we did a lot of research on what movie to use for the navigating domain and I couldn't find anything that I felt captured it better.
1: And yeah, to me it's like watching a day in the navigator's life. You know it's <laughs> it's like seeing what navigators think do, how they interact with other people. It's
2: really, really good to yeah. portray navigating. Agreed. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, even behind the scene, you, lot, you see lots of navigation. The posters of the movie, it shows, I mean, I, I have seen two posters. One of them, they are standing, the five characters standing, uh, and behind them, a blackboard. And the other poster, uh, they are sitting on the floor with different poses. So it's like it tells you it's a movie about the group. Even the uh, used songs, I mean, the lyrics of the songs are all talking about navigation, uh,
0: you know, uh, concerns and so on. Right. Yes. Do you know
1: that the, the, the song was created for the movie?
0: Oh, that's interesting. See, I did not know that. Oh, that's yes. very interesting. Yeah, yeah so the, the, the song, uh, the theme song was uh, Don't You Forget About Me. Uh, by the band Simple Minds, and yeah. it went on to be a huge, huge hit. Simple Minds was a not quite a one-hit wonder, but pretty close from the 1980s. Another interesting tidbit of information: the lead singer uh, Jim Kerr was married to Chrissy Hind of the Pretenders for a while, uh, so it was an interesting rock and roll pairing there from the 1980s. So the first scene, really, again, it was hard to identify scenes that captured navigating because the whole darn movie just from beginning to end is as if the three of us sat down to try to write a script about a movie that illustrated navigating we would end up with something similar to this right so it's kind of hard to draw firm distinctions of saying you know minute you know 7 to minute 12 or anything like that but if we just start off from the very beginning where the kids are all being dropped off at the school by their parents the, the identities are starting to be established there, right? And you start to see who these people are, and the information is revealed. Again, just to show the, um, the budget of the movie, the mother and sister of Brian who drop him off were actually his mother and sister in real life, right? So, so it really is a uh, uh, <laughs> and an, an attempt to save money uh, in making this movie, but uh, also revealing. So, I'm curious with you guys: did you notice anything in particular about that opening scene where they're being dropped off and what it said about the characters?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, as you said, it's it started to build the profile of each character, which is about understanding profile of different members of the group so this is a navigating uh, element and uh, i would like to say that although maybe some of the characters are not navigating but the whole theme of the movie is really navigating so so i mean you can see that it's it's from the very beginning we are getting to know people and we are getting to know uh, their roles in the group and we are getting to know the dynamics between them and the identity and uh, all of that from the very
1: yeah, and it shows the profile, as you were saying, and also the kind of relationship they have with their families. So yeah. what Say role more. they play: Yeah, so the role they play in the family, the kind of in, kind of interactions they have with their parents, so it's what kind of expectations parents have of them or not. Uh, so it, but it shows a bit not everything, so it just unfolds slowly.
0: Yes, in fact, I would say that it almost cements the stereotypes or serves to fix the stereotypes that then get revealed. So if you look at each scene, so uh, I forget what order they get dropped off in, but the the jock character, the wrestler, Andy or Andrew, uh, he's dropped off by his father, who's clearly an overbearing kind of tough guy, played by a little-known actor, Oh, shoot, Richard Dean, I think is his name that was in a lot of Chicago movies. Former police officer. He shows up in, uh, for example, The Fugitive with uh, Harrison Ford as one of the investigators. But he drops him off in a Ford Bronco, which at that time was kind of a rough sort of car, right? So it established that these are, you know, kind of tough people. Uh, next, Claire is dropped off. I think her father's dropping her off in a BMW, and she's complaining that he couldn't use his connections. To get her out of the detention, right? She's feeling that even though, uh, let's see, what did she do? I think she cut school to go shopping, which is mm-hmm. why she was serving yeah. detention. And, you know, she just thought this was completely beneath her. Claire, uh, sorry, Andy was played by Emilio Estevez. Claire is played by uh, Molly Ringwald, who also in 16 Candles, uh, another uh, movie which was very similar in spirit to this. The third character is Brian, played by Anthony Michael Hall, who at that period kind of cornered the market on playing nerds in, um, in Hollywood movies. He's excellent in the role. He's dropped off by his mother and sister. And she is furious with him and telling him he better find a way to study, right? even though they're not allowed to study. You know, she says, well, you better find a way. And uh, the expectation you know, clearly set up is that he's the straight A student who, you know, is getting a lot of pressure from his family on that. The character Allie, who is um, sort of a, a, you know, kind of the oddball of the group and the um, character that nobody knows anything about, is dropped off by her parents. And when there's the scene in the very beginning where she goes to say goodbye and the car just drives off, right? And so it's clear that she's a disaffected and, you know, misunderstood and uh, not paid attention to character. And finally, you have John Bender who is the uh, hoodlum character of the movie, who is not dropped off, but is has to walk there. And again, that shows something about his relationship with his parents, meaning that it's, you know, at best non-existent and abusive, at worst, as we find out.
2: What I like about this scene, that it establishes something that uh, the cultural background of each family is shaping somehow the identity of the character, and then the actions and the dynamics that will happen later on
0: in between the different characters. I found that as I watched the movie um, the second or third time to get ready for this uh, podcast, that I started thinking of the, the families and the relationship with the parents as just a stand-in for society in general. Right? And as all the students talked about the expectations of the parents, I think that that could easily be extrapolated into how young people feel society, you know, wants them to be and what it expects of them and how difficult it can be to figure that out and find their own place in it. That's what all these kids are trying to do. How does this, how does this world work? And how do I, you know, how do I make some sense of it? How do I be, you know, somewhat successful in my interactions with the world? Not in a monetary or professional sense, but just, you know, just figuring out how to get through life.
1: Yeah, and. How to fulfill other people's expectations yeah. and how um, they're not feeling seen, I think, by the people around them. And that's kind of painful for them.
2: Right. Yeah, wh- wh- one more thing, and I would like to take your, uh, your uh, reactions to, to this thought, which is basically uh, the movie, the whole movie is about teenagers. And teenage period in life, is really about understanding who, I'm, who I am, what, what, uh, what identity am I shaping, what is my relationship to my peers or my family or to the society and so on. So somehow taking this bunch of teenagers uh, brought this navigating, the whole navigating uh, overarching theme to the movie. How do you react to
0: this thought? I, I would agree, right? I, I think that the adolescent period is this period where we're trying to figure out, you know, who am I and how do I fit in? And again, that is all with the navigating stuff. It's not to say that every teenager is navigating. It's not to say that only navigating needs are addressed then, but it's a very significant time in life in, in these terms, right? Um, how does the world work? Who am I really, as I'm starting to gain some independence from my parents and how am I going to survive the dynamics of, of, this, of my social environment? It continues when they go into the class and the way they, um, they find their seats, the way they interact with each other, really just everything about that opening scene where they're taking their places in the, li- uh, in the library chairs, again, is navigating, right? It's all about who sits where, it's all about establishing relationships where they exist and where they don't, right? So, for example, Andy and Claire, who are the two popular kids, sit together in the front of the room.
1: They kind of smell each other.
0: Yeah, that's good. You know say that more yeah.
1: about that. It's like, I see you. Uh, I I can feel that we belong together, so we'll sit together. It's, yes. They don't need to say a lot. Yes. But they're... Smitting each other.
0: Yes, uh, that's a great way to put it. And then there's the part where Bender, the hoodlum, comes in and he sees Brian, the nerdy kid, sitting in a seat and just stands over him and stares at him. And Brian instinctively knows to get up and move. And so he goes and takes another seat. And then, of course, at the last minute, uh, Allison comes bursting into the room and sits off in the back corner, turned the other way away from the group. Yeah, and so- somehow the, the way they, uh, I mean,
2: the way they have their seat for the whole movie represents somehow the roles uh, into the dynamics of the group. So the stars are in the first row, the outcasts somehow are at the uh, at the last row, and uh, Bender is like in the middle, like trying to shake the whole dynamics and so on. So this, I mean, I think it, it took some thought from the screen uh, writer uh, to, to really come up with this uh, ranking or this uh, places for seating.
1: Yeah, that when um, Mr. Vernon gets there, yeah, Claire says, I don't belong here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, I shouldn't be here, this is beneath me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I look around and it's like, yeah, I'm not part of this group.
0: Right. So, so this is interesting. So, when we pick these movies, our uh, our goal was to establish the theme rather than focus on particular characters. Okay. So, uh, as we said before, not every character is going to be of the uh, instinctual bias or the enneagram type that we identify. But let's take a minute and talk about how we see each of these characters, right? whether we think that they are navigating or not, and if we have any uh, speculation on what their Enneagram types might be. Um, I, I, I have my opinions, but I'll let you guys share first. So, so first of all, what thought? Do you, how many of these folks do you think are navigators? I think more than half. More than half, <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So three of the five, right? At least three uh, of the yeah, five. Yeah,
2: something like yeah. that, yeah. Okay. I would say three out of the five. Okay, <laughs> so which ones do you think, Tamara, are not navigating? I would say Bender, and I'm not sure if uh, Andy would be, uh, uh, maybe, probably not in a navigator. The
0: wrestler. All right. Maria Jose, how about you? What do you think?
1: I think that Andrew is navigating. I think that Claire is navigating. I would question Missy.
0: Missy. uh, uh, Allison. Allie. Allie. Yeah. Yeah. The principal calls her Missy, but that's just because he doesn't know her name. Oh, okay. That's why. (laughs)
1: Well, they all—they sh- I think they all show a lot of navigating. Even Bender, I think, because it's—he's an eight. Probably, it's more that strength that could be seen as transmitting. But there's something in Bender that it's more strategic, more like he's kind of waiting what to do next, and then he does it. But yeah, I could by that he's navigating as well
0: yeah yeah so i think everybody in the movie is navigating except for mr vernon who's probably a transmitter so and and i think too i'm going to speculate on the enneagram types here so i think that andy is probably a navigating nine uh one of the things we find out about him is that he does what people tell him to do right he doesn't assert himself he kind of behaves in a way to please other people uh, which is his sort of critical problem. I do think Claire is uh, navigating as well. Probably a three. Yeah, I think that's I, I think that's a pre- pretty good case could be made for that. Uh, Brian, I think navigating. I think he's probably a six. It would be easy to jump to the conclusion that he's a five because he's a nerd and he's you know a, a brainy kid, but um, very much a six-ish sort of energy to me and a lot of anxiety and so forth. I think Allison is a navigating four. Clearly a uh, quirky character and playing into that whole uh, stereotype. And I do think that uh, Bender is a navigating eight, even though there's a lot that looks transmitting there. I think that's (laughs) having a little experience with navigating eights. um, You know, I can tell you that that's pretty much what they looked like around that age. More about that, say more about that, yeah. Well, I, I, I'd say that in high school, I was probably more uh, more Brian than I was Bender, but uh, uh, not, uh <laughs> um, I, I'm exaggerating there, but I think shortly thereafter, there was a lot in Bender that I could relate to, and particularly around this, um, this need to establish dominance everywhere he went, right? I mean, very much in eight ish sort of characteristic but to your point maria jose there's a even though you know he was dramatic in his appearance and all that sort of stuff you know the the clothes that he wears the overcoat the denim jacket all that sort of stuff that was very much a look back then right and um so it was more of a kind of fitting in and establishing my identity than it was peacocking that we yeah. might see right? it wasn't so for, flashy or right. uh, bright or yeah Yes, and he was a listener. He he he's, you know, he was he was an insightful guy for being as much of a jerk as he was. He was very insightful about people. And there's this great scene where he he looks at the Ally Sheedy character, the the four character, and he just kind of looks at her and he says, "I've seen you around, you know." Right? And it's just this idea that he's watching, you know, he's seen things. And uh, all throughout the movie, Bender is establishing you know he's kind of driving the action in the movie he is um pushing the plot forward so to speak and it's all through his manipulation of people and he's having fun that's the thing even when Mm -hmm. even when carl the janitor smacks him down right he kind of grins Right. And he says, ah, oh, we're the opponent. You know, I like it. So he's 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 enjoying and he enjoys when he sees people push back against him and fight back. So so I would lean more toward the navigating eight and the transmitting eight for that character.
2: The, the whole theme of the movie has been stated in the uh, title of the uh, essay that the uh, principal is giving them, which is basically describing who you think you
0: are at yeah. the opening scene. Yes, excellent point. So the opening scene starts out with the reading of the result of that essay, and that's how the movie ends as well. But that is the theme of the movie. Who do you think you are, is the the assignment they get for detention. Are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business-friendly, and science-minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we are the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It is currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awarenesstoaction.com. We left with our characters uh, kind of feeling each other out in the library. The way that the plot goes is that, um, you know, they're trying to figure out, okay, how can we get out from under the watchful eye of the principal? So Bender goes and he removes a screw from the door and the door stays shut. So they have a little privacy to sort of carry on why, you know, why the principal is not looking. And then they go through a series of sort of establishing shots of the characters, particularly around the way they eat. Their lunch when it comes to that.
1: At the beginning, um, when Ali starts biting her nails, yes, and they all look at her and look at each other like, "Can you believe that? Can you believe what she's doing and how annoying that is?" And it's all the time like that, like all these mores, social mores, all these things that they immediately react to when they're being kind of not followed, and they look at each other like saying. Oh, this is wrong, right? You also see, are you seeing that? Can you hear it? Are you, and I think they said, are you going to keep doing that or something? You're not, good, not <laughs> going to be hungry for lunch. Yes, he, keep, see,
0: he says, if you eat your fingers, you're not going to be hungry for lunch. Right? Yes.
1: So that was very interesting because that's very navigating. It's yes. uh, monitoring who is following this, the group rules. Yes. And to, to keep the group in line. Yeah,
2: yeah and, to, and to your point that this keeps on repeating in many scenes in the whole movie, maybe small uh, gestures or uh, looks at each other and so on, and sometimes in really dominating some scenes at the end, but it's like keep, keeps on repeating the whole movie, a kind of uh, judging, assessing and judging and, uh, and evaluating
0: yeah, that that is certainly one of the fundamental things to note in this movie when it comes to understanding the navigating domain, is the importance of nonverbal communication, right? of watching, observing, and kind of sending messages through facial expressions. Uh, we see a lot of this. And uh, again, as I, as I watch the movie... Uh, again the last night one of the things i noticed for as over the top as some of the scenes are right for as you know silly and over the top there's some really wonderful acting in the movie in these subtle little moments where you can see the changes of facial expressions right somebody will start telling a story and people will start out smiling and then you can see as they get into the story and pain starts to get revealed or pain starts to get inflicted on other people, how the facial expressions change in very subtle but telling ways. Okay. So, uh, again, very much a navigating activity. So, the opening scene, uh, again, probably the first, I'd say, 25, 30 minutes of the movie is establishing who these characters are and uh, exposing them, if not really revealing anybody yet. And then uh, the next scene I wanted to talk about is the uh, is the scene where they go on their little journey to get the pot out of Bender's locker. So they sneak out of the room when Mister Vernon went into I don't know he took a walk or something, and so they sneak out and they start wandering through the halls and they go to Bender's locker. And they get into an argument, they see Mr. Vernon, and they realize that they have to get back quickly. And they start getting into a power struggle over leadership of the group, right? at To this point, Bender has been the leader, but Andy decides he's going to step up and insist on taking a different route back to the library. So there's this interesting little political and power dynamic that goes on here. And do you guys remember what ends up happening after that? Well, Bender was right. Yeah, (laughs) Bender was right. (laughs) Always listen to the eight, darn it, especially when you're doing things that are wrong.
1: the, The funny thing to me was to see how kind of they didn't know why they were following him, but they were following him. And when Andy says, let's go that way, and he was wrong. And then Bender takes responsibility and saves them, and he kind of goes to to scream around school so that the principal catches him and the others can go back to the room, to the library. That was interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think lots of navigating happened in this uh, scene as well. So it's like assessing who should be the leader from every member of the group. So, and building on their observations on who is really, who's really the star maybe they did this decision of following uh, uh Andy. uh but as i mean to, to your points it's uh, i mean it was not necessarily the the best decision but but it shows how they took the decision yes.
1: and and even bender not asserting himself so much that he would force them to go his way it says a lot
0: yeah and, and that shows if we just look at the subtype the you know the the navigating eight tends to be the eight that is most
1: Apparently,
0: apparently, <laughs> consensus building. Yes, thank you, Maria Jose. I was struggling for the word there, right? Uh, so, so they at least give the appearance of building consensus, okay, and willing to compromise, if, even if it's rare and for only short moments, okay. Uh, but it is an interesting point, and as I was thinking about this, I couldn't figure if it was coming from the eight or for the navigating about this idea of self-sacrifice, okay, that Bender goes through, right? But it is, it is an interesting dynamic. Yeah, but, but.
1: I think it has to do with reciprocity as well, because Mm -hmm. when he took the thing out of the door, and he left that small room that he was left in, they saved him. They protected him. Mm -hmm. They hid him from the principal.
0: Yes, that's a really great point that um, I'm glad you brought up, because this is what happens when you know when Bender does take the screw out of the door. They're all really upset, right? You're going to get us into trouble, all that sort of thing. But when the principal comes in and starts yelling at him, they side with him, So they're establishing their tribe. And even though I don't know you people, and I probably don't like you people, we're in this together. Yes. Which is something we see in the navigating domain. So they become their own little tribe. And we see a great example of that sort of tribalism that we see in the navigating domain. A really good observation. Um, so you
1: saved me, I'll save you now.
0: Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, and, uh, Excellent point. Excellent point. The other thing we see in the uh, scene in the in the basketball gym with Bender is the first appearance of the relevance of footwear in this movie. So you might remember that Bender uh, somehow or other, he, you know, all through the movie, he was wearing these work boots and one of them had a bandana about it. And, uh, you know, his shoelaces were untied. So it was very much establishing who Bender is through his footwear. Um, but somewhere he found sneakers right and he was i think in that scene where the principal comes in he's wearing one sneaker and one boot and then he he takes off the sneaker and leaves it in the middle of the gymnasium floor as they walk out and there's that shot with just this one sneaker in the middle of the floor which is interesting because again there's this theme of footwear and this indicates sort of this lone character almost right of you you know in the middle of nowhere Am I reading uh, too much into this, do you think? No, or, uh, <laughs> I was going to read
1: more into more, it. Go
0: ahead. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's our podcast. We can do that, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> you play sport, you wear sneakers. You know, it's, it's like you don't wear boots <laughs> when you're playing sports. Right. It's, but it's kind of this thing about adapting almost or, or doing what's supposed to be doing in each situation. You right. know and not maybe supposed, but I could decide to do the opposite, but it's but but I decide what I'm going to wear in what's in each situation
0: yes, yes, So, go time, you to say something yeah, I would like to
2: agree, and even showing Bender as a personality in a total mess, so it's like he's doing it halfway it's like one uh, one <laughs> shoe is <laughs> is the sneaker and the other one. So it's like, still, I really want to somehow adapt. I might not adapt fully, but somehow I want to be halfway there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I I think that's basically, again, if we want to keep reading into this, it's saying, I'll do, you know, I'm still going to maintain who I am, right? Even though if I have to conform in some way, right? So I'll wear one of these sneakers, but I'm not going to wear two of them. Uh You know, I still get to. Say who I am in in this sort of way. So the reason we talk about footwear is because one of the things we notice, particularly in the the requisite music video uh, scenes, is the director would zoom in on people's footwear. And we talked about Bender's boots already. Claire, the princess, was wearing you know very stylish leather boots, right for the time. Andy was wearing kind of the classic plain white nondescript jock sneakers for the era probably New Balance or something, which are now referred to as dad sneakers. Okay. So, and as somebody who kind of came of age around that time, you know, yeah, I I went through my New Balance uh, period as well. Uh, um, What's his name? Brian is wearing blue and yellow Nikes that clearly were not picked because they matched the rest of his clothing, right? They could, you know, they're just something that probably his parents paid, you know, bought for him to wear. And I don't know if you noticed it, but there's a scene where uh, Brian um, gets knocked over and you can see his socks and his socks don't match, right? I think yeah. one's yellow and one's red in the stripe. So again, sends a message about Brian and who he is and how out of touch he is with his physicality. And then finally you have Ali, the, uh, what I think is the Navigating Four, who's wearing the uh, kind of standard beaten down old Chuck Taylor shoes. Uh, which establish who she is. But this, again, this comes through a number of times in in the film. Oh, there's also a couple of comments about shoes. At one point, Brian is talking about how uh, his mother doesn't like him wearing other people's shoes, uh, which comes up sort of out of nowhere. And then there's another scene where he asks Ali Sheedy if she's going to be a bag lady who stands around talking at walls and wearing men's shoes. Again, shoes and identity are a big part of this. Kind of like Miller's Crossing and hats for you movie nerds out there. Maybe Someday we'll find an excuse to talk about Miller's Crossing.
1: Yeah, I'm talking about Ali, because we haven't said much about her, but she the fact that she's a consul- compulsive liar, you know, it's a bit about kind of what do I want to say about myself uh, to other people and how I will adapt the story depending on who I am with. Not saying that navigators are liars, but they do not say all the truth. They (laughs) say the part that you think fit
0: best. Yeah, like I said in the beginning, it's about the strategic unveiling of information, right? Or uncovering of information. Uh, Which leads us into the the third scene, which is kind of the uh, final set piece. And they're all sitting around. They've been smoking pot. And they're starting to talk about what they did to end up in this situation uh, of being in detention, and they all start to tell their stories. And it starts off with Allie lying about being a nymphomaniac, and they start to sort of gang up on Claire about whether she's a virgin or not. Andy reveals that the reason he is in detention is because he was picking on a weaker kid and taped his butt together with athletic tape. And there's there's a really touching exchange there between Andy and Brian when Andy asks Brian if he knows the kid and you could see that Brian is imagining himself in that kid's place, right? Because he's one of the nerds that gets picked on by the jocks like him. And you can see this tension establishing. And this is one of the things that happens in this scene while they're revealing themselves. They see these tensions and hostilities and the anger and resentment about things that they had said earlier in the movie starts to come out, right? So there's this big sort of messy conversation that happens.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that it starts with more generic questions to kind of fill the water. Like, what would you do with a million dollars? Yes. To get to know people. To, And I think that when Andy reveals why he's there, it is just to force or to make other people comfortable revealing why they're there. Mm. Because it's like it was getting too tense. I said, you know what? This is why I'm here. Yeah. Knowing that it will invite other people to share as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's how I saw it. And in fact, I just, when looking at that scene, I realized that I do that all the time without being aware of it or that that's the intention, but I do it all the time. It's like I know that I will make people feel more comfortable if I share something about myself will lead to them share what they're struggling with.
2: Yeah, I, I think the script is uh, very well written. I mean, it makes it makes it feel, I mean, uh, realistic somehow. And uh, so a bunch of navigators would really tell uh, deep secrets about themselves. They need the motive to do that. And I uh, would say that smoking the pots would Would have been, I mean, a good choice to start this whole conversation. So it's like they are uh, putting down their guards and starting to relax and be able to reveal things about themselves. And I see this whole scene starting, I mean, like illustrating the contradiction of the uh, navigator. So it starts by trying to connecting, and in the middle, a kind of judging each others because they are completely different than each others, and each one of them is judging. Uh, the behaviors or whatever secrets is shared by the others. And then at the end, connecting again and feeling like, okay, we we are all full of shit and we
0: can really uh, have a common ground here. Yeah, excellent points. And it is important to point out that very little of this movie is about information offered. Uh, When we talked about Saturday Night Fever, we talked about how nobody asked the other person any questions, right? Uh, Unless it was, what do you think about me? in this movie nobody really offers information right it's all it's all elicited from people through the asking of questions and the other thing that is um pretty important here is that there's this resistance and this hesitance to offering things and you can see the calculation that's happening in people's minds as they reveal things about themselves so it's very deliberate in the way that it's done
1: yeah and its you can tell that they don't want to be judged. Yes. Yes. So how much I share? Because I don't want people to judge me, as Tamer was saying. That happened anyway.
0: Yes. Mm
1: -hmm. And the other thing I saw there in that scene is their struggle to let go of their public identity. Mm. Uh, So they wanted to do things differently, but they had an identity that they had to keep, um, that helped them to be part of a group and they were struggling with that
0: yeah which which plays itself out when they start asking one of them asks uh, i think it's brian who says hey are we going to be friends on monday and claire looks at him and says no we're not right i mean it's you know no I'm, you're missing the point here you know me and andy are the popular kids and if we see you we're probably going to ignore you and that sort of thing and uh so you you wonder right uh what would really happen there but it does talk about how much our group identifies us and how attached we are to our social groups and even though we might stretch out of that on occasion we do tend to go back to our our tribes in a way right so it's kind of a a sad moment now i think that they work by having the two you know couples sort of pair off they try to break that divide but I mean, come on, really, how long do you think Claire and, and uh and Bender are gonna last as a couple, right? I mean, maybe ten minutes, okay. Um, so that's just not gonna happen. And the same with Andy and No, even and Andy, Andy and Exactly, is- exactly. Right. Uh, you know, a girl that eats Captain Crunch cereal uh, breakfast or, or sandwiches for lunch is uh you know probably not gonna fit into his world all that well. Uh the other thing, Maria Jose, you pointed out a really important point about this, uh, Andy sort of or tamer uh, uh, as well about andy breaking the tension in the story by revealing himself and that happens a lot throughout the movie whenever there's tension between two people somebody else sort of steps in and tries to de-escalate by sharing something about themselves and uh, not trying to argue them out of it, not tell them, hey, you stop this, you stop that, but sort of revealing something about themselves to take the tone down a little bit. I think that's done really effectively.
2: And I would say this this is playing on the trust dynamic. So maybe I can bring some elements to the discussion here that bring more trust so it can de-escalate yeah. the tension.
0: Yeah. This is a, a really good navigating technique of exposing something about myself to manipulate other people, right? The the writer Truman Capote, who was famous for a book called In Cold Blood, where he got these two uh, murderers to really reveal themselves about what went into the, the murder, was asked one time how he gets people to open up to him. And he said, I tell them some horrible story about myself, of some awful thing that I did or some awful thing that happened to me, and it makes them want to reveal things to me so again it's very much a, a strategic manipulation that navigators are pretty effective at yeah another
2: Just, dynamics uh, happened in this scene where they started to uh, talk about their parents and how uh, by the relationship between them and their parents and they started by how different they are from their parents and then after uh, some discussion, they found out that they are almost like their parents so it's <laughs> it's all of kind of comparing between me and my parents and no one like we are less. It's understanding the similarities, the identities, the
0: dynamics. Right. Yeah, a- excellent point. It is all about this, um separation. I am not like you. I find my own identity by showing how I am not like you. And as I was watching that scene, I was just kind of chuckling and saying, yeah, good luck with that kids. Right. Uh, right? Uh, and, and again, uh, you know, if we go back to my idea of the parents being a stand in for society, there's this idea of I'm not going to be the nine to five kind of guy. I'm going to be different. I'm going to, you know, live my life a different way. Uh, not that many of us end up doing that. So, we've covered a lot of ground here. The one thing that we haven't really talked about yet, I guess, the, maybe the final thing that uh, we'll talk about for this podcast, is the role of uh, Carl, the janitor. Are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business friendly, and science minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we are the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It's currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awarenesstoaction.com. Okay, so in uh, the first part of the movie, maybe in the first 45 minutes or so, uh, they're sitting in the library and in walks a janitor named Carl Carl who was a graduate of the same high school some years earlier. In fact, in the opening scenes, a real subtle thing that most people will probably miss is that he is identified as the person of the year during his uh, senior year at that high school. And there's an interesting dynamic around social class that happens in that scene. Bender, even though one might argue, that he is, um, you know, probably in the lowest social class of the whole group. He is very antagonistic. He's kind of insulting to Carl, Uh, whereas Brian and Carl know each other. And with Andy and Claire, they probably wasn't even registering to them that the school had janitors, right? I mean, they probably didn't even notice he walked in when he did. But Carl, uh, again, very much captures this idea of navigating. And uh, I kind of saw him as almost like a Greek chorus in his scenes uh, because he's in that scene. He's in another scene with the principal. And he's at the end of the movie as well, uh, sort of watching them leave. Tell me about Carl, the janitor, guys.
1: Yeah, he once said, I'm the eyes and ears of this institution. Yes. Yes. I'm watching. I'm I'm watching. watching. I look
0: through your lockers. Right.
1: Yes, I look through your lockers. I know what's going on. I know everything about you. Yes, and and I think there's something about navigating yes. in terms of looking at people and connecting the dots. So I see them here. I see them there. I see their files. I know who they are. Yes, and uh, creating a story around the people, and and he does that.
2: And uh, building on this idea, Mario Z, I felt like his character. Is helping the uh, uh, the viewers. I mean, uh, helping me when I when while I'm watching the movie to do the navigating on my behalf. So if I'm not a navigator, he would who he would explain what's going on in certain
0: uh, scenes uh, throughout the movie. I'm going to expand on my uh, claim that he's sort of like a Greek chorus and actually compare him to Virgil in the Divine Comedy. He's sort of the guide to the underworld, right? Of, you know, here's how this works. And um, even the uh, part where he kind of smacks down Bender at the end of that first scene, and there's this kind of nice scene where bender actually smiles at him he's he's acknowledged a worthy opponent and uh, is showing respect for him then there's the next scene with carl and principal vernon where carl finds him snooping through private files uh, which he shouldn't be in a file room and they start to have a conversation so and they start to have a conversation about life and uh, you guys have any comments on that conversation
2: yeah, it's it's comparison between. I mean, it's the conversation. It's comparison between two lives. Uh, while Carl uh, is keep on bringing uh, wisdom to uh, to his position in that direction, and it shows that Carl is really ha- uh, having wealth of information that he can use to take position, good positions in any conversation. Yes. And uh, what, what I what I like about this. Uh, Really, I mean, from, from the other side, from the principal, the the two sentences that he said, uh, when he said, these kids will take care of me in the future, and this is what is scaring me. This is yeah, one this sentence is so scary, he said. Yeah. I wrote down this. I guess Carl is the one who said, we are all pretty bizarre. Because when, when the principal said, this is bizarre, he, he said, we are all pretty bizarre. It's like... Telling him, I have lots of I I know lots of secrets that yes. I know that we are all liars.
0: Yeah, Carl uh, Carl sets perspective in that conversation, right? He uh, he also uses that information strategically, and he extorts fifty dollars out of Principal Vernon. So in order not to tell that he would caught him snooping through the files, Carl is kind of the I'd say the moral center of the movie, right? I mean, he has perspective and uh, on on life that the other characters don't have. Go ahead, Mario.
1: It's interesting that he knows what those files are,
0: you know. <laughs> 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 <Right>. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I think he, Carl spent some time with those files as well, probably.
1: Yeah. Right? <laughs> he just be feeding, and He knows what's in that particular kind of place. And so that's interesting that he just knows things yeah. and uses that information. And it was also curious to me that he's been watching uh, Vernon as well you know, the principle. And he says, you started like this and you stayed doing this because of that. So he kind of understands his trajectory.
0: A couple of things we haven't talked about is the relationship between the navigating domain and the two other domains, the transmitting and preserving domain. What we find when we work with people is that there's a pattern of expression in these domains that's pretty consistent. The navigating domain for navigators is what we call the zone of enthusiasm, right? It's what people get excited about and what they pay attention to. The transmitting domain is what we refer to as the zone of inner conflict. And the preserving domain is the zone of indifference, right? They just don't pay a lot of attention to it. The only scene that has anything to do with the preserving domain is the lunch scene right? But even that is used to establish the characters, right? It has nothing to do with preservation or health or nutrition or anything like that. It's just an excuse to reveal who these people are a little bit more.
1: The transmitting domain is a zone of, zone of inner conflict. It's, it's like for navigators, there's this little transmitter that wants to come out, but only with the pod it came out. You know, so they they just let themselves lose only when, when they smoke, after the smoke. After, I mean, otherwise, they were just uh, more restrained. And with the preserving, uh, we could also say that writing the essay, the kind of thousand word essay, it was more of a preserving thing, like, like more detailed. And they all said, why don't you do it, Brian, for all of
0: us? <laughs> yeah. Tam, is there anything you would say about that part yeah i mean i mean the whole movie i
2: mean can show that it's a contrast of preserving so it's i mean no structure in the uh in the process no planning whatsoever i mean things that just leads to each other's and uh, yeah i mean it's it shows that this is
0: not an area of interest of of the whole group yeah agreed even when they um uh, when they have to go to the bathroom it's really just an excuse to get up and move around right you can tell going to the bathroom is besides the point it's just another navigating activity for them to take and i agree with you maria about the transmitting piece of it it's uh, when andy does his kind of whatever that is, (laughs) right, that he does after he gets out. It it, it reminded me of, you know, some sort of bird ruffling their feathers by doing this sort of, you know, ritual dance of, you know, uh, showing off, which is kind of a transmitting activity. All right, good. Yeah, Even when when they are uh, uh,
2: sharing their secrets, you don't find any, I mean, you don't find lots
0: of transmitting in the secrets that they are sharing. Right. (laughs) yeah Yeah. nobody's bragging about anything right nobody's showing off (laughs) in in that scene yeah
1: Yeah. even when andy's dancing he's not paying attention to what people how people react to it he's just doing it
0: right yeah it's this expression of energy that 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 comes out sure so we've we've covered the breakfast club our podcast is almost as long as the movie itself but this has been fun so thanks to the two of you for your insight Uh, if you haven't seen the movie The Breakfast Club at this point. I encourage you to watch it. It's a good movie. And again, if you really want to understand the navigating domain in a fundamental visceral way, you won't find a better illustration of it. I find that this is probably of the three instinctual domains, the one that's least understood in the uh, Enneagram literature. And I think a big part of that is that most of the people who've written books about this are not navigators. So they don't quite get it from the inside. So watch The Breakfast Club and um, join us next time when we talk about the preserving domain and we're going to talk about the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. Thanks for being here, guys.
2: See you. Bye-bye. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. Thanks for listening and we hope you'll join us for the next episode. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the podcast, we ask you to go to wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review. Visit us at awareness and follow Awareness to Action on social media.